0: tech talk with matthew dickerson matthew dickerson tech 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 talk sit back and relax it's time to talk technology hello all you fans air conditioners and other electrical appliances i haven't used that line since primary school congratulations on landing on just the right time and just the right place for another tech talk With Matthew Dickerson. It's been another busy week in the world of all things technological, and here to tell us all about it is Matt himself. What have you been up to this week, Matt? Or what's been on your mind, I should say?
1: Well, lots of things have been on my mind, but we've had a federal election, which is interesting, always interesting interesting. when we go through a federal election campaign. They do seem to come around a little bit too quickly, in my opinion. But one of the promises made during the campaign by the Labor Party was that if you elect us. We'll put an FBT, a fringe benefits tax exemption on employers that provide electric vehicles for their employees. And What's it,
0: this, an incentive? Well,
1: that, you might be right there, James. <laughs> it didn't actually gain much attention. Maybe not enough people out there are focused on that, but I saw it. I went, well, oh, gee, that's a pretty good thing. And when you start to think about it, depending on the value of the car and how much an employee paid, a whole range of variables there, but... FBT, especially if an employer pays the FBT for an employee, some employees employers do and some employers don't, but if they do, for example, that might be anywhere from at the very low end maybe three thousand dollars up to maybe six or, or maybe even more six 000, seven thousand dollars mm. that it would save an employer per year on the cost of having a car provided to an employee. So when you start to think about that, if an employer says, well, Mr. Employee, you can have car X, a normal petrol-burning car, or car Y that might be a little bit dearer up front, but the running costs for me, the employer, are much lower. That's good. But hold on. FBT exemption, that's going to save me thousands of dollars a year. Suddenly, that makes it a much better proposition. So if we've talked about how governments can make changes – there's a dramatic change they could make straight away. Now, how much money is the government going to miss out on? Because that's what always people think of. Oh, no, if you put incentives in place, if you pay people money to have an electric vehicle, what does that cost us, the community? Well, in this scenario, I don't think there'd be much of a cost because some employers who would be thinking, well, I wouldn't mind giving Mary a car, but I'm just not sure that she quite is at the level that I want to give her a car, suddenly... The cost of the car without the FBT exemption is only a small cost. So then the employer may well say, well, I was going to give one of our employees a car, but it was going to be too much. But now I can afford it. So I don't know that it will suddenly take a whole bunch of FBT money away from the government. It might actually add more cars to those employees, which means more EVs in Australia, which means some manufacturers around the world might say, oh, Australia, we might actually let some of our good new models go out there. At the moment, they tend to ignore Australia (laughs) to a certain extent. So anyway, that's pretty exciting. 1st of July, that's all meant to happen. I'm keen to see that it does happen. Not that I can do much about it if it does or it doesn't happen, but <laughs> I'm keen to see that happen. And certainly in our business, yes, we've got EVs already for our employees, but again, that might make a difference. I might provide an extra employee with a car. Who knows?
0: And the winds of change are whispering.
1: Ooh, they're just slowly, gently, not quite a breeze a, yeah, yet. Yeah, a building a bit up a, to a breeze. Yeah,
0: a whisper, yeah. All right, let's just... Jump straight into it today uh, with a a health story. I've found out that apparently I text like a boomer. Matt, do you know how I know? See, physios are reporting a spike in thumb injuries from excessive mobile phone use. And I've been using my index finger all along. Boy, do I feel like an idiot. (laughs) Anyway, Aussie physios are being smashed by people complaining about sore thumbs of all things now, Matt. This is a 21st century malady if ever I saw one.
1: I'm sorry to make you feel left out, James, but I'm I'm a bit with you. You're, I do use my fingers sometimes. Are you fingers, uh, no, I'm, are I'm you getting to the stage now. I've got both thumbs going, so my I'm feeling thumbs a little aren't bit better. Nimble enough. <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem. It's a quite incredible problem that we've been presented with here. And so physios are seeing this increase in thumb injuries and get ready for it. It's mainly in the over forty age bracket. Is it? So right. maybe it's because the we boomers <laughs> are
0: actually using their thumbs. <laughs> so I'm not are. even a boomer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we're at the point where we haven't done enough of thumb usage with our phones when we're much younger. Obviously, kids now, millennials, for example, have used their thumbs a lot more, so they are maybe more used to it. Maybe our bodies are just getting a bit older, maybe our bodies aren't quite as flexible as they used to be. But this is a big thing happening. But time on mobile phones increased by over 50% during the pandemic. So there's step number one, we're using our phones a lot more. And obviously, Mm. when you're using your phones, especially you talk to a millennial, it's not using your phone to talk on, it's using your phone to text or message in some way, shape or form. So With poor spelling. With very poor spelling. Oh, please get that right. So, Physio said that using your thumbs in the way we use our thumbs holding a phone and using our thumbs is not natural. The actual action of the thumb usage Mm. is not natural for our thumbs. They're not designed to go up and down. Our thumbs are designed to grip hold of things, use our thumb and our fingers to hold on to things as we came from the trees and came down onto the ground and picked up things. That's right. Our thumbs went in, not up and down. So it's actually an unnatural movement for a start. Yeah. Not sure if we can get a way that our thumb could go up and down to actually do texting. But So up and down is bad for us for a start. And then we're just doing so much of it, James. <laughs> that's, the, that's the other minor problem. Well, so, I used to
0: play one of those little nin- Nintendo games and watches in the in the 80s. And I used to give that a hammering. That was all thumbs, right? Yeah, yep. And I can remember aching thumbs as a young <laughs> fellow there. And maybe that that's what scared me out of using my thumbs with my, my texting. Maybe that's it. Good excuse. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> It might have been that. But even on those, you, you weren't really going up and down with that. That was more kind of pressing down and yeah. you had a little tiny bit of movement there. Yeah. But now we're using our thumbs going a lot more up and down. So we're texting, but it was swiping up, swiping down, all sorts of swipes we're doing with our thumbs. So it is a problem. It's something that physios around the country are seeing. I haven't got any research from around the world, but certainly from around the country, we're seeing a lot of that. And obviously... The whole thing is about how much screen time we have. So if you try and limit your screen time a bit, and most phones have got the ability to track your screen time to give you some information, that might help you a little bit. But the good news is the cure, well, I'm sure if there's good news or bad news, depending <laughs> on where you said, the cure is to stop using your thumbs. They will get better.
0: So using your index finger.
1: Or just not using anything.
0: So I'm a revolutionary.
1: That's right. You're, you're way ahead of the game yeah, here. Yeah, right. You stop using your thumbs when you didn't start, but you're using your fingers, but Then the other part is physios are seeing that people who use computers more than a phone are finding just their index finger is getting a bit of the same problem, a bit of tendinitis in (laughs) your index finger from scrolling (laughs) up and down. Because again, how long have we had scroll wheels for? Not forever. So scrolling up and down the scroll wheel and obviously just clicking. So they're seeing a bit of tendinitis in the index finger, a bit of tendinitis in the thumbs, depending on what you do and how you do it. But yeah, the, the cure is not maybe a great solution for everyone, but the cure is to rest those particular parts so maybe use the voice services on your phone more than use the actual thumbs and talk to your phone more and you talk about spelling errors they'll get words completely wrong but not much different to spelling errors I suppose yeah, that's right, but that yeah. might be part of the solution for some people but it is an issue it is a big issue and physios are noticing it
0: well maybe it's a good time to become a physio then <laughs> maybe,
1: money maybe. maybe good idea
0: there's probably no shock in this next headline folks uh would you be surprised if i told you that australians spent a ton of cash on video games last year given the nature and length of lockdowns and all but we're not talking millions of dollars folks lockdown generated billions of dollars in the video game industry just from aussies and matt apparently that is the cost of home
1: entertainment these days it's all the pandemic's fault, everything's the pandemic's fault, James. <laughs> so it we spent just a fraction under four billion dollars on video games. dollars. That's right. Now that's on that's games, right. consoles, everything to do with gaming, that was what we spent. Now you think that's a big number? Globally, there was us one hundred and seventy five billion dollars spent on games. That's bigger than the movie industry, Hollywood's movie industry, and the music industry. Put together. Wow. Yeah. So you think wow. them or those two industries are huge industries. Then you think of gaming and you kind of think of gaming as being a little introverted teenager in a darkened room. But the most popular bracket, age bracket for gaming in this nation at least, is the 35 to 44 age bracket.
0: With a lot of disposable cash.
1: Exactly right. So I tell my kids, I don't know if they listen to me, but when they're <laughs> in a game, don't go and make those in-game purchases. They just suck you in. It's like mm. gambling to a certain mm. extent. You just get sucked in and want to buy it. But the 35 to 44 bracket, age bracket, probably says, huh, I want to go better in this game. Yeah, whatever. I'll just go and pay that couple of dollars for that yeah, little it's only thing two there. Bucks or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? And then that builds up and builds up to eventually out of four billion dollars. What's interesting is that even in the over sixty-five bracket, eleven percent of all the people playing games in this nation are over sixty five. Eleven percent. Yeah. Now a lot of those people say they do it to connect with their grandkids sometimes kids but more grandkids yeah, so good they might excuse. play yeah, that's right whatever excuse they come up with but they do it to try and connect with those particular Kids, if you like, but you do also see some of them. I've, I've been at nursing homes and you go in there and you see people on their iPads. You know, it's pretty advanced. You walk over and they're playing solitaire typically or some of those yeah, yeah. pretty basic games, but it's something for them to do and something for them to still be engaged and well, use their mind. Well, it's also a
0: way of staving off things like dementia, isn't Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I, I think that's exactly right. So, um, But yeah, 75% of people, I thought this was interesting, 75% of people, play games as a way of connecting. So in other words, they're playing some sort of game that's interacting with other people, whether it be online or in the same environment. And we've joked about it before when we were kids growing up, you'd sit there and wait your turn patiently or impatiently (laughs) as the case might have been to have your go on whatever game was being played and you'd hate playing with someone that's really good because their turn would go for 20 minutes and your turn would go for 30 seconds so but the connecting that's really one of the ways and I think that makes sense during the pandemic if you're in lockdown couldn't leave the house especially if you live by yourself but even if you didn't live by yourself just connecting with the outside world gaming was a good way to do it especially for males if I ring you and I say oh James I just wanted to have a bit of a chat you might go oh Matt, really? Yeah, Yeah, let's talk, but it'll
0: last two minutes.
1: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Whereas if I ring you and say, hey, James, let's play some games. I'm not sure thing. And while we're playing that game online for half an hour, we're also chatting about what's happening in our lives. So males aren't really great at that sort of emotional connection. They don't really pick up the phone and just talk and have a bit of a chat. So I think gaming is really a way, and I've got no data to suggest there's more males playing it. It's only my sort of gut feel that more males are playing it. But Mm. uh, I think in general, you'll find that, Males in particular would play to connect with other people. But there's also been that huge increase in terms of how many households have got the ability to play games. So, back in 2005, 76% of households had at least one device to play a game, which, you know, that seems like pretty impressive. You jump forward to now, last year the figure was 92%. And I think that's wrong. I don't know 8% of people that don't have something to play They came <laughs> in their house. <laughs> but that's been a, that's the official data, 76% up to 92%. So that's, that's quite incredible. But the future, the experts are saying the future is still happening there. Even with that increase we've seen and just that $4 billion spent, over the next eight years, they still believe there's about a 5% annual growth to happen yeah. in games. So it's, a, it's quite incredible. But for entertainment now, rather than sit down and watch a movie, a lot of people sit down and play games with the family.
0: Yeah, yeah. And as you say, yeah, connect with other
1: people. Yeah. yeah. And the last thing is the most popular title. The most popular title last year in Australia was Mario Kart Eight Deluxe? What? Yeah, so good wow. old Mario. So go Mario been, Kart. He's, yeah, he's been around for a while, Mario. But yeah, he's that, that was that title was the most popular title out of all the titles that were there. Minecraft was up there as well, but Mario yeah. Kart Eight Deluxe was the number one title. Do
0: you know? It's interesting you mentioned that about Minecraft as well because um, my sons, who are in their mid-teens now, were big on Minecraft several years ago, and then yep. they dropped it, and Fortnite became a thing, and whatnot. Yeah. These first-person shooters and whatnot, um, and now. They're starting to drop back into the Minecraft again. Going back to their
1: youth, James. (laughs) And I think, if I had to guess, I don't know exactly, but I think Minecraft would have come out maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, but my guess would be around about that 10 years ago. And my kids were the same. They were big Minecraft fans. In fact, the Minecraft song, they would know the entire Minecraft (laughs) song word for word. You know, it's deep underground and off they'd go and they'd sing it and we'd be sitting in the car driving somewhere and they'd start singing, oh no, I've got to put up another three or four minutes on this (laughs) Minecraft song. But yeah, it was certainly popular, but some of those titles do come back and that's maybe why Mario Kart's so popular because it's been around for a long time. and, 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 And actually, if I had to guess with that, I reckon... 90, early 90s, 92 maybe, somewhere around that, the first yeah. Mario Yeah,
0: look, I remember, um, yeah, but it would, would have been mid-90s when we got into it. Yeah. Um, uh, me and my mates uh, out so of that's uni. That's a long time, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
1: Maybe it wasn't 92, because that would mean there'd be a major zero anniversary that would be occurring right now, this year sometime, yeah, if yeah. it was that, so it'd be 30th anniversary 30, Mario, yeah. so maybe it wasn't exactly 92. But anyway, it's been around for a while.
0: Now they've done it, they're back. And they love their flappy doors so much they cannot let them go far enough, right? Great Scott, Marty. It's all about the flux capacitor. DeLorean is back with a big old gull-winged Alpha 5 model. Matt, we are back to the future once again.
1: Yeah. Now, we have talked about this briefly, that it was potentially coming. Well, I can say it's better than potentially coming. There will be an official unveiling sometime around August of an EV Delorean, so it'll be the Delorean as we know it from Back to the Future. Yeah, that company went broke. Don't know all why. Right. Surely, okay. surely, with I all thought the they publicity, just went
0: quiet for a bit, but yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, very quiet. Yeah, once they went broke, that was it. <laughs> that was but it. another company has actually bought the model, the brand name as such. It happens uh, another company just comes along and picks up the bones of what was there and says, "We're going to do something with this." So they've made a DeLorean EV. They've made it with the goal wing doors of course it yeah, has to have those. It's a different the shape. They just slightly... can't let that go. Yeah. No, no, absolutely right. It's a different shape although it looks very similar but it's just slightly modified just to be a little bit more modern and maybe cut through the air a little yeah, bit softer. A
0: couple of angles have been rounded off a little bit I think. Yeah, see. just to yeah. make it
1: run through the air I think a bit nicer but It's actually a pretty impressive EV. In terms of EV specs, it's pretty impressive. It'll do 0 to 100 Ks in 2.99 seconds. So Most people would say 3, but they want to get it under 3, obviously. More importantly, it'll do 0 to 88 miles an hour in 4.35 seconds. So (laughs) (laughs) you can make that time jump much quicker. Just make sure you've got enough road. Yeah, that's right. Well, in (laughs) 4.35 seconds, you probably wouldn't need enough road or much road there to do that. Uh, So they've really just talked about the specs of those. They've put 100 kilowatt hour battery in there, which is similar to, say, a Tesla Model S, 100 kilowatt hour battery there, it'll do a range of somewhere close to 500 kilometres, maybe high 400, so that's pretty impressive in terms of most EVs out there, that's getting around the sort of range that people are hoping for or expecting, and I just think they will get a bit of action out of having this shape and being able to talk about this car. So if you happen to be around Pebble Beach, On the 21st of August, that's when they'll officially unveil it. You'll be able to take it for a drive. Well, I'm not sure everyone will be able to take it for a drive, but they'll have people there being able to take it for a drive, showing it off, and I think they'll probably just gauge the public interest and if people get really excited about it, they'll put it into production.
0: Fantastic. I hope with a flux capacitor.
1: Well, I hope they do something, some sort of <laughs> nod to Back to the Future. They'd
0: have to, wouldn't they?
1: Maybe you just put something there as the garbage bin in the car. I reckon this is going master. to be a
0: big seller. I reckon it will go, and, um, and that's um, well, sometimes, on the back of that film.
1: Yeah, and sometimes when they go and make a car that's a bit of a reflection of the past, they mm. don't make that good a car. But with those specs, with that yeah. range and those acceleration specs, that seems to be what people, we, we didn't really, when we are buying a, a petrol car, we didn't really say, how fast does it get to 100 k's an hour? It might have been one of the vague specs we looked at, but it didn't really seem to matter. Whereas now with EVs, it seems to be, I need to know two numbers. I need to know zero to 100, I need to know range. In fact, the other way around, I need to know the range and zero to 100. So we seem to be obsessed with those two figures. And in terms of this car, that does a good job on those two figures. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it'll actually be a pretty big seller.
0: COVID smashed a number of industries, gutting the workforce, as people went looking for other ways to make a buck. Now, as we emerge from the COVID chrysalis, some of these industries are still finding it tough to find people to fill jobs. So in Singapore, they're filling the holes left behind in the workforce with robotics. Matt, I can imagine that this might really wind some people up, but it is a practical solution to a really critical problem.
1: And the problem is exacerbated by the fact that Singapore in the past has had a lot of foreign workers, and Mm. that number's dropped by 235,700 foreign workers between December 2019 and September 2021. So that's a big chunk of people to take out of the workforce. And so what do you do with all those people not in the workforce? Well, when you've got borders closed around the world, it's pretty hard to work out some way to fill those holes. I don't think there's huge unemployment in Singapore so it's not as if they can say to people, right, we're not going to stop paying unemployment benefits so all your people are going to get back to work. Mm. I don't think it's a major problem they've got. So they've said let's go robotics. Now, Singapore's Been pretty good with robotics in the past. In fact, they're number two in the world in manufacturing. They have approximately 605 robots installed per 10,000 employees in manufacturing specifically. South Korea's got 932 robots per 10,000 employees. So they're number one in the world, but Singapore's pretty good at number two. But now what they're really trying to do is they're saying, let's get some of those customer-facing tasks replaced with robots. Well, let's face it, it's not being replaced. They're not happening at the moment because the people aren't there. Simple as that. So the first thing they did was they said, let's put some robots in to make coffee. And when you think about it, we've mentioned it before, robots are really good at repetitive tasks, things where you need the same thing done over and over and you need it done very accurately and probably menial or tasks that could be a bit boring. Now, you know, there's
0: some baristas out there that are getting really wound up right now, <laughs> so be careful.
1: If, if I said I want a flat white or a latte or whatever the coffee of choice might be, I'm expecting my barista to make it exactly the same each time because mm. I don't want my coffee to taste different each time I go and order it from the same place. So, having a coffee make it exactly the same way, I'm not going to get the witty conversation. I'm not going to get a bit of uh, commentary about the weather or whatever it might be from this robot, but I'm yep. going to get my coffee made. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm going to get my coffee made exactly the same each and every time. So, apologies to baristas out there. Sometimes baristas don't make it exactly the same every time. Sometimes mm. you get a coffee from the same place and you go, oh, it doesn't taste quite the same as it did yesterday, but it's pretty good. But a, a robot, surely they're going to Able to get that right. So that's the first thing that we're seeing across Singapore that you're getting barista robots. And mm. let's face it, are they just using a machine? All of us have seen coffee machines that pump out coffee. You press a button and it pumps it out. Are they doing that or are they actually doing it the same way a barista might do it? I can't answer that. All I know is you can now get barista robots in Singapore. You've also got the library. Now, when you think about a library, someone putting books away in a library. For a start, they've got to be quiet, so a robot can do that. Then they've got to check the serial number or the barcode on a library book, and then they've got to go and find, presumably, the Dewey Decimal System they're using and go and find where that slots in on that particular shelf, given the fact there's codes on the shelf. So they've now got robots. You bring your book back into the library, the robot takes their book, and then once there's a stack of them, the robot goes and puts all those books back in the correct location throughout the library. So that seems like another sensible way. Again, I can't ask the robot, what do you recommend this week, Mr Librarian? But I can actually drop my book on a table and know that it's going to be put back in the right place when someone else comes along to look for that particular book and know that it'll be there. So you've got ones like that. You're also getting construction sites. Now, we've talked about Boston Dynamics before. We've talked about Spot the Robot Dog. The great thing about Spot is you can ask Boston Dynamics to give you Spot, but I want it loaded up with certain things on its back. So you can customise Spot to however you want it to be. They're using Spot, versions of Spot, in the construction industry in Singapore. Now Spot doesn't have a hammer and start banging away on some nails. Spot's mainly used to do some measurements around the construction as it's progressing. So you've got normal construction workers working away on whether it be a house or a high-rise, whatever it might be, but spots turning up with measurement tools on spots back and continually measuring things along the way to make sure things are being constructed correctly. (laughs) So it means it just takes away that role from a foreman, for example, and you can have more people dedicated to the actual construction work itself. So lots of different things are being done. That's, so far... But you can imagine more and more things will be created, more and more robots will be created to fill in more and more of these jobs. And the great part about the robotics industry is I can create a robot here and that robot can then be sent anywhere and there's no restrictions on travel for robots you don't have lockdowns that cover robots because freight can still go in a lockdown scenario so it's quite interesting how long before we see some of these jobs replaced here in australia or here in our local environment yeah who knows once they're working somewhere it'll just be a matter of how quickly they can be produced
0: and um Also opening up a big industry for robot designers as well, so mechatronic engineers and whatnot.
1: And that is one of the things I think that's really important is that as we go forward with this, people are worried about jobs being lost. In this example in Singapore, well, people aren't there anyway, so they're not losing jobs. Mm. But, yeah, you've got to create the robots, and that's obviously something where, as we've gone forward throughout history jobs have disappeared, other jobs have been created, we still seem to have good employment in society in general.
0: And I talk to a lot of students in my role as a teacher, uh, and in particular a physics teacher, I get a lot of kids who want to be engineers, and robotics engineering is, is a big one that yeah, they right. want to get into. Yep. Um, to this point, the industry in Australia hasn't been enormous, and so jobs are fairly few and far between, but this could be a real growth industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely right.
0: And in another story, straight out of the Cyberdyne Chronicles, the vacuumerists, there's a word for you, at Dyson are really embracing the idea of domestic robots, and this means great news for people who, don't, who not only don't want to do the vacuuming, but are also quite averse to packing and unpacking dishwashers and tidying bedrooms, etc, etc. Matt, how are the kids going to earn pocket money now?
1: Well, I actually want to know whether you made that word up or you actually looked that word up. No, nah, I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Sounded it sounded good though. i
0: coined it, and it's going to be in the Macquarie English Dictionary in a couple of years. Word of the year next year. I'm backing it in. <laughs>
1: okay. So, in backing, linking back to that story we just talked about, in terms of more mechatronics engineers, more people involved in robotics. That's exactly what Dyson is looking for at the moment. They're recruiting 250 robotics engineers. Now, they've already got about 2,000 new employees they've added in that whole field already in Dyson. So, yeah, the advice you're giving to your students is absolutely spot on. Listen up, kids. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. Because Dyson obviously well known for vacuum cleaners and we've seen robotic vacuum cleaners. We've talked about the fun of making sure they don't take the poo from a dog and spread that around the house. (laughs) We've talked about how the fact they're getting better at emptying themselves and all sorts of things. So they've been around for a while now and different people have used those with varying degrees of success. But Dyson thinks that is really just the first step in getting to that point where you can actually have some proper robotics around the house. So they're working on things exactly as you said, packing the dishwasher is one. Taking plates off the table, packing the dishwasher, turning the dishwasher on, fairly limited sort of, sort of environment they can work within there, but that works well for a robot. You're not expecting the robot to do a whole range of things around the house. Just stay in the kitchen. I'll finish my meal. I can just get up and walk away and you'll take care of it from there. And I'm assuming that you'll do it all without breaking the plates and they'll be cleaned and then you can put them away. Again, be programmed where those plates go and then you'll be able to put them away. So mm. a few basic tasks like that. Dyson believes that they're the sort of things that you can do. I do also like the idea of being able to just clean up the kid's bedroom I mean my son thinks he's got a floor drobe not a wardrobe <laughs> clothes just go on the floor that's yeah, where that's they where go they dad that's and right
0: you can find them later on He
1: can because I can see them all they're all laid <laughs> out there for me so I love the idea that a robot and again this is one of the areas that Dyson they didn't think about my son when they're doing it but Dyson thought of when the robot can go into a bedroom pick up clothes, maybe from a basket, maybe from the floor, not sure which, pick up those, take them to the washing machine, put them in the washing machine and start that up. So like you
0: get them to fold clean washing? Because I've got a son who drops clean washing <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> I'm not sure if they've gone that
1: far. They've <laughs> just looked at dirty washing so far. I'm not sure how they determine it's dirty. Maybe being on the floor is an indicator d- for d- them. Indicator, right. But I don't well, think they've got a, a smell sensor on the robot to <laughs> see whether or not... No, this is clean. I'll leave it there. It's only a matter of time. Well, quite possibly. But these are the sort of things that... I think, and obviously Dyson thinks as well, that you'll be able to go through and get a robot to do these some of these basic household chores, and it's all about taking away the drudgery. And mm. if you go back and see these old historical shows and TV clips, when you saw people washing their clothes by rubbing that on a rough board, oh, and yeah, just yeah. the the housework was a full time job. I mean, there was no wonder that you had partners in a relationship one partner was off to work to earn some money and the other partner stayed at home and did the housework because it was a full-time it was job, a full-time job yeah. most of the things that we've created over the years have been at well around the house sorry have been designed to try and reduce the drudgery reduce the amount of time you might spend so a washing machine instead of hand washing a uh, clothes dryer instead of hanging out in the washing or a dishwasher for example it just those sort of things are obviously helping make it better in the home. So why not go to that next logical step and say, well, gee, first world problem, mm. I've got to pick up the plates from the kitchen table and put them in the dishwasher. Can't we do better than this? Yeah, we can do better than this. And that's where Dyson believes their next big innovation will be. And Dyson's got a good reputation for creating things. In this particular example, they're investing about 2.75 billion pounds in this whole R&D. So they don't do that. Without having some idea, they'll make money of this out of this down the track, mm. and so they they think they'll be able to come up with enough around robotics to be able to sell things into homes that they'll make money out of. So, who am I to question Dyson? Who am I to say these guys have no idea?
0: Well, we've been talking about this since the fifties, um, <laughs> and so twenty twenty two, they're making it real.
1: Yeah. Well, by. Uh, uh, let me see, I think 2030 they were talking about that it'll be a common thing that you just go down to your local white goods retailer and pick up your robot and bring it home and that'll be an autonomous robot to do certain tasks. There you go. Fair way away still, but I think we'll see a few developments along the way.
0: Bantering about computer power is a genuine high order nerd flex. The sort of status punch that gets thrown around uh, about in inside conversations across Dungeons and Dragons tables and Warhammer forty thousand tournaments the world over. Well, the US, who were once the world leaders in bragging rights for powerful computers, have been silenced by the Japanese for a while. But now they've hit back. Matt, you're going to hit us with some specs now, and it's going to leave some uber geeks on this on the other side of the speakers melted on the floor when they hear about these.
1: You're exactly right. And what's really interesting is that it's an AMD power machine. Intel have been the king of chips forever. And of course, the great quote about the amount of processors on a chip doubling every 18 months is an mm. Intel employee quote from the late 60s. So when you think about Supercomputer powered by AMD and now being the number one supercomputer in the world, then that sounds a bit strange. But my son tells me I'm out of touch. AMD are really going quite well at the moment, according (laughs) to my son, who's an expert on these things apparently. So, so this particular supercomputer is now capable of 1.1 quintillion calculations per second. It's the first supercomputer to top the one quintillion calculations per second mark. So, so hang
0: on, quintillion must come after trillion, right?
1: No, I don't, don't know. Or there might it, be another one there in there the a middle there There might be something above. Yeah, that, that would make sense. So yeah, trillion, this,
0: quadrillion, quintillion. Well, okay. It's, it's big. Just, it's big. It's big.
1: I should know what it is. No, but, that's all right. But it's a big number and it doesn't matter that much because we're probably not going to – just drop that in on a desk tomorrow and start doing a few calculations with it or playing games. Yeah, that's right, playing Solitaire. Gee, those (laughs) cards render quickly, don't they, (laughs) with this computer? But what is interesting is that China tops the list still with the number of supercomputers. So there's a list, of course, there's a list, there's a list for everything. There's a list of supercomputers around the world. China has got 173 computers, separate computers, on this list of supercomputers. The US... Last year, 150 has dropped down to 126 computers on the supercomputer list. You're quite right that Japan had the fastest computer on the supercomputer list for a couple of years, but now again, it's gone back to the US with this particular one. So it's a big industry for supercomputers. Now you think, well, why? Why do we care? Did we really need to render Solitaire that much faster? These computers are used for some pretty heavy calculations. For example, covid using supercomputers to try and predict, do some modelling around COVID, that's where time on supercomputers would have been booked out. So if you just happen to own a supercomputer, then you would have had companies approaching you saying, we want to do some modelling on what will happen if this many people have COVID or if we're restricted by this much, what happens to the worldwide outbreak of that? And it's not just a simple calculation. Oh, yeah, it doubles 1, two, four, eight, 16. Oh, there we go. We've got the solution. There's so many variables pumped into this. Obviously, there've been, there's been a huge demand for supercomputers over the last decade or more climate change because modelling for climate mm. change what does it do if the earth's temperature rises by 0.1 degrees celsius or 0.5 or one or if we drop it by etc etc so all of those when you just say let's just change the temperature by 0.5 degrees we don't get the answer just a couple of seconds later there are so many calculations that mm. go on if you've got a decent sized model for that that the answer comes out a long time later which is why as much as I like to boast about it, it is big industry owning a supercomputer and selling time on that supercomputer. Well, DNA
0: sequencing is another really <laughs> yeah. common option now. Uh, it took a long time to, to, to first um, read the human genome. But now you can get your own DNA sequenced uh, pretty quickly, yep. but also that, that develop that relationship, uh, the DNA connection between ancestors and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, people are very interested in that.
1: They are, and so that's when you need... When you've got things that are large and complicated and lots of variables, that's when you can start to use it. So they're used for things like what would happen if a nuclear weapon went off, what would happen if, for example, a new drug and you try and do some simulations of that drug in the human body because obviously the human body is pretty complicated. Uh, Even just looking at the entire universe, what's happening out there in the universe, Mm. those sort of calculations are done on supercomputers. But anyway, for those that are interested, it's, uh, it's back to the US now. Back in front, good on you, but give it time. Next one that comes out, who knows what it'll be. And and 1.1 quintillion, (laughs) we'll scoff at that in a few years' time, James.
0: Well, yeah, that's right. We'll be laughing at that um, when we're in the hex or the the heptillions, the octillions.
1: Once we know what a quintillion is, we'll, 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 we'll scoff at it.
0: It's drive time again, folks. The pressure on car manufacturers to get cleaner and greener while still feeding that fast and furious loving beast, those beasts of the world, I should say, is enormous. That's the market these days. And the way to please the consumer lies within the realm of AI. Smarter cars that drive cleaner, greener, but still with a grunt to appease the motorheads. Matt?
1: I used to joke with my kids, "Here, I will get a run of some green lights... I'd tell the kids that i just had that chip installed in my car that as I drove to green lights, it knows it's my car and the lights turn green and they were all very impressed. (laughs) They were two or three years of age at the time, but that's almost what we're talking about here. AI being used to try and make your commute a cleaner, greener drive. Now, let's assume we're not using an EV in this scenario. We're using cars that are still burning some petrol, which will still be around for some time to come. Not so much by having a chip in your car that turns the lights green as you go, but by having your car and traffic lights communicate with each other, you actually can have your car know when lights are going to go green. And so as you're travelling down a road, rather than sitting on your 60 kilometres an hour or 50 k's an hour, whatever the speed limit might be, and getting up to where the lights are and then stopping.
0: Stopping, yeah.
1: And using all that fuel along the way, by communicating with the lights, knowing that this particular road length is one kilometre, and the next traffic light will change green in 28 seconds. Therefore, you need to go at this speed along, which is below the speed limit, obviously, along that road. So when you get there, it will turn green. Now, you think, well, that's fantastic when you get cars and traffic lights that are all smart enough to have these conversations. But in the modelling they've done, not sure if they used a supercomputer for this modelling, but in the modelling they've done, they found that if only 25% of the cars on the road used something like this algorithm, in other words, they had enough intelligence to have this communication, that would make a dramatic reduction in the amount of greenhouse gases that were produced. Because 25%, again, if you're going on a road and the car in front of you on a 50k speed limit road is doing 38 kilometers an hour because it knows that's the speed it needs to go to get to that next light, it's going to turn green, then you're stuck behind them in a city environment, you're unlikely to overtake them. You might go, oh, why is this guy, oh, go a bit faster, damn you. But then as they roll up to the traffic light that was red and then turns green and they roll straight through, the guy probably forgets about his frustration sitting at 38 kilometres an hour on that 50k speed limit road. Yeah, wow. So it's that type of thing that we're talking about and doing. And we
0: petrol at like over $2 a litre.
1: Yeah, why not save some petrol? Why not save some greenhouse gases? So it would mean that A, you get less frustrated at the traffic lights. B, you spend less time sitting there idling at traffic lights. C, you produce fewer greenhouse gases and better fuel economy as you drive slower up to those traffic lights. Mm. So it sounds quite incredible in terms of an overall scenario. And then you really could tell your kids, yes, it's because I've got a chip in my car that these traffic lights just turn (laughs) green as I approach them. Now, it's not going to work in every scenario because obviously you've got competing interests of cars coming from different directions. But obviously the idea is to manage that as much as possible so that you spend less time sitting at a red light, more time going at the speed that's appropriate. And it's funny because I know If I go down to the CBD of our city in one particular way, when I turn onto one of our streets, I kind of know the vague timing of a traffic light around peak hour, and peak hour is probably peak five minutes for us here. But if I see the lights green as I turn off a roundabout, I go, great, if I sit perfectly on the speed limit, it'll be green again because it's a fairly long stretch of road. Ah. It'll be green again by the time I get there. Now, it doesn't work at other times of the day, but that's the sort of thing they're talking about doing. Whereas if I see it red around there, I go, oh, I don't know how long. I I don't know if I should just slow right down because I'm going to miss the next green or speed up to the speed limit. Obviously, never over the speed limit, James, but speed up to the speed limit and get there as quick as I can because it might be just about to turn green. But if my car was communicating with those traffic lights, that would make the scenario completely different.
0: Wow, that's clever.
1: It does sounds pretty cool, doesn't
0: <laughs> it? Now, in a modern world where children have access to so much information with a quick swipe or tap, there's a very high risk of being exposed to lewd and crude imagery. And what has been un- uh, what has been seen cannot be unseen. Apple have taken up the challenge and developed software to help out parents. And we'll now blur out the rude bits when the nude images appear on kids' devices. Matt, this new protective measure is another step in the right direction for managing a worrying problem.
1: And it's taken a little while to come to fruition because there were some major privacy concerns. When Apple first announced this was available, and in fact last year they talked about this being available, privacy advocates were worried that images were being sent from someone's phone to a server somewhere somewhere, and someone was looking at that and then saying, oh, that's a naughty image, we're going to blur certain parts of it and then send it back to someone's phone. Apple have gone to great lengths to say to people, this is not the case, the AI, the intelligence is happening on your phone and Mm. it's scanning images on your phone, looking for the nude parts of an image and then blurring out those nude parts of the image. So it's all happening on your phone, it's all done via AI, via an algorithm that's been written Obviously, it's not going to get it right all the time. You might have some new images that are sent that go through and aren't picked up, and vice versa. You might have something that maybe look like a nude image, but it's not, and it gets picked up. There might be skin tone, or I know there's a cycling team, for example, a a female cycling team, that when you look at their cycling outfit from a distance, it kind of looks like they're nude. So it's obviously part of some marketing, some clever marketing, but maybe not so good marketing from that perspective. So I'm sure there'll be times when it makes a mistake, but in general, it's a step in the right direction, because if we can stop Some people out there who are trying to groom or some pedophiles who are trying to see images or posing as another 14-year-old person sending through pictures to a fellow 14-year-old when really it's a 50-year-old person doing the wrong thing. If we can try and prevent some of that, then that's a good thing. And we've got technology to do it. So why not do it, I suppose, Mm. is the bottom line with that. So it's now available. If you uh, download the latest iOS from Apple for your phone and you put that on there, you can go into... Uh, parental controls and actually turn on these settings to actually automatically blur images and then you can override that if your child brings a photo to you and said hey dad I'm studying this artwork at school and it's picked up the artwork as a nude image now it's blurred I can't study it properly then the parent can override those controls obviously so good idea let's see how it works in the real world and people using it but even if it's not perfect it's got to be better than nothing
0: Yeah, that's right. And yeah, so as you say, not fail safe, but um, sorry, not foolproof, I should say. Mm. Um, But at least it's better than uh, (music) Cryptocurrency markets. To me, they're a little bit fast and loose. I think that perhaps subconsciously I'm probably a little bit jealous of not getting on board early enough. But believe you me, if there is a bit of negative press about them, call it spite, call it what you will there's a real need in me to chime in with I told you so. (laughs) Matt, (laughs) there is now a call to regulate these markets because more and more Aussies are being sucked into crypto market scams. Well, who would have thunk it?
1: Well, I actually watched an episode of Bull the other day. Bull, the show where they oh, do... Oh, is
0: it that the, the courtroom show? Yeah, yeah they yeah. do They
1: do some jury magic or work with the jury to try and manipulate the jury or, or present the best information to a jury. I don't know if it manipulates the right word. And it's a real thing. That industry is a real industry. But there was one the other day where someone had been ripped off their entire life savings by an overly aggressive trading scam. Well, it wasn't a scam. It was backed by a large bank. It was a pretend bank they made up in the show. But it was backed by a large bank. And the whole court case focused on the fact of, did this person give their money to them knowing it was high risk and therefore bad luck? They risked their money and they lost it. Or were they overly aggressive in the way they marketed it? And, of course, the client won because that's what happens when you go to a TV show like Bull because the client's always the winner in those things. But that's a bit where we're coming from in this particular scenario The consumer watchdog group Choice has done a whole lot of work around cryptocurrencies. And their biggest fear, and this is what they're expressing to the Australian government, is that the marketing of cryptocurrencies and the marketing of cryptocurrency exchanges is so aggressive that it actually leaves Aussie exposed, potentially exposed, because when you get that phone call and you keep hearing about how wonderful it is and all these wonderful returns you're going to get, and it is very aggressive, that marketing, and the salespeople in these organisations are very slick and just know the right triggers to pull, then it leaves people exposed. So even though some people might say, well, you're an idiot if you're going to invest your money in some high-risk scheme, and you're after a quick return, if you're going to make a quick buck, you've got to take the risk associated with it, that all sounds reasonably and acceptable to someone who hasn't been scammed. But people that have been scammed, the story they tell is, wow, they were good. They were so mm. good in the way they marketed. So that's what Choice is saying. They're really calling on the Australian government to say, we need some regulation. We can't just have people come in randomly, start making phone calls to people or marketing their cryptocurrencies and trying to wrap some sort of fact or some sort of regulation behind it to say, well, if you're going to do it, you've got to tell people a bit more about cryptocurrencies. A bit like a bank, you can't just go and advertise some banking product and claim some wonderful returns from that. You've got to be able to show or demonstrate the returns and you've got to demonstrate how those returns were had rather than cryptocurrencies where they just seem to make unbelievable claims around cryptocurrencies. And it's not about the whole point of cryptocurrency was get away from the banking regulation and just be able to use something free from governments but no one ever talks about the downside of that, which is that it's free from government. Free from, yeah, <laughs> that's right. And,
0: yeah, and the liability there can be enormous. Yeah, that's yeah. right,
1: and especially when people feel confident. And again, some of these salespeople are very good and they make you feel very comfortable with them. When you feel confident that you're giving away your thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, whatever it might be, to someone who's going to make a great return on you, and then you see some of the returns, on paper, and you go, that's fantastic. And then you might say, I might get out now. No, stick in there a bit longer, Mm. Mr. Customer, because it's really on the way up now. You don't want to get out now and lose all that potential upside, do you? So all these sort of tactics. So anyway, some regulation there. Will it happen? I think what will happen is there'll be enough bad stories that will come out and enough people burnt that they will start to lobby the government. And when people power starts to step in, that's when our government will say, sorry, we're going to regulate that. And, mm. and I think it'll happen. And it's an interesting scenario around the world. Different governments are approaching cryptocurrencies around the world in a whole range of different ways. Some are adopting it as a national currency. Others are banning it. So there's a whole range of different perspectives. Yeah, we've talked there.
0: about uh, countries banning uh, cryptocurrencies. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's right. So when you make something so that it can be scammed, there will be a scammer out there somewhere who's happy to do it.
0: Anywho, it's pack-up time again. Return your pencils to the tin. Pop the lids back on the clag and scissors back in the tub. Sitting up straight, ready to be dismissed, kids
1: you want to tell our listeners what clag is?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to guess that some might know what that is. Keep the others guessing. Thanks for another cracking tech talk,
1: Matt. Thanks, James.
0: How about another test drive in one of those DeLoreans, yeah?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Now, thanks for tuning in to another Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. I'm James Eddy, wishing you a wonderful week. Don't forget to hit that like button or drop a comment in the app that you're listening through. See you again next week.